This is Psalms to God, Season 1, Episode 2, Most Likely to be Forgotten. You can find the transcripts for this episode at www.psalmstogod.com slash forgotten. Just a warning for my listeners, this episode will contain discussion on sexual assault and violence. What do you say when no isn't enough? What do you do when actions aren't heard? And if the odds are not in your favor, how do you find yourself when the situation is lost? If the blame fell on you simply because no one believed the betrayal you claimed and your motives were questioned, your entire life placed on display for the world to examine, How do you cope when the world is still deciding what is and isn't? What you should and shouldn't feel if you are or aren't responsible and the odds are not in your favor? Do you scream? Do you fight? Do you lock the pain away in a secret box and hide your shame from prying eyes? Suffer in silence to avoid the world? Do you ever become whole again? If the odds were never in your favor to begin with. Welcome back to the Psalms to God podcast. Did you know that from the time you clicked play until right now, statistically speaking, at least one person in the U.S. was raped? According to the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, otherwise known as RAIN, an American is raped every 98 seconds. Every 98 seconds. That means by the time we get to the end of this conversation, Approximately 18 people in the U.S. will have been raped, and 17 of those will be women, with one being a man. Between RAIN and the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, it's been estimated that either one in five or one in six women in the U.S. will experience an attempted or completed rape in their lifetime, and one in 71 men will experience the same. In 80% of these cases, the perpetrator was someone the person knew. 51% of women reported that the aggressor was an intimate partner, and 40% reported that the person was an acquaintance. These statistics are both alarming and depressing, and I wish I could just write them off as people playing with numbers and overhyping or dramatizing the world we live in. But the number of female friends that I've had confide in me their own experiences with sexual assault and the the traumas that they've experienced tell me that these numbers are very, very real. And you have to wonder, when we live in a society like this, what exactly the Bible says about it? What should the church be saying and doing at a time like this? But unfortunately, the church seems to be silent. And the reason I know that the church is silent 
is not just from my own personal experience where only one of the churches that I've ever attended in my entire life has broached the topic of consent or sexual assault or anything in that realm, but because the majority of white evangelical so-called Christians had no problem voting for Donald Trump, who basically endorsed sexual assault. And even more people were okay with Brett Kavanaugh being appointed to the Supreme Court. And he has been accused of sexual assault. And it's not really surprising that when you have a leader of the country who is saying the things that he's saying and nominating a person who has a questionable history, and when you have a Supreme Court where Brett Kavanaugh is not the first person to be appointed to the seat with allegations of sexual assault trailing behind him, then it's not really surprising that when issues happen in our country, we have situations like this where Brock Turner, who was convicted of sexual assault and only received six months in prison, actually only had to serve three. But meanwhile, Centoya Brown, who was basically sold into sex trafficking as a teenager, a teenager, and repeatedly raped, she escaped her, her attacker by killing him. And she was sentenced to life in prison. And she's already served 13 of those years, and she's still there. This is the society we live in. And it's disheartening that the conversation is not being had amongst believers. And what's more disheartening is that there are some perfect, perfect stories in the Bible to talk about just this. And that is the reason why I titled today's episode, Most Likely to Be Forgotten. I know that from a high school yearbook superlative situation, this would never make the cut because of the negativity surrounding the actual superlative. And it's not that I'm saying that the people I'm about to talk to are forgettable. It's quite the opposite. I feel like once you read their stories, they're absolutely unforgettable. And that's why it's mystifying that we don't talk about them ever in church. And I feel like as I start to name these people, many of you will not know who they are because I found that only people who are avid Bible readers do know who they are. And that's why I wanted to highlight their stories because I feel like many of the women and men who have experienced sexual assault will relate to these stories. But I also feel like the outcomes and the aftermaths of their stories have important lessons and consequences for us today. So without further ado, I actually have three people in mind for today's episode. I really couldn't decide who deserved to be talked about. I felt like all of their stories were worth mentioning. And so I gave the official superlative to one person, but I decided to talk about all three anyway. So the person I gave the superlative to is Dinah. Dinah is the daughter of Jacob and Leah. Yeah, Jacob and Leah had a daughter. Jacob 
Everyone knows Jacob. Everyone knows he had his wives and everyone knows he had 12 sons. A lot of people don't know that he had a daughter. So the story of Dinah is told in Genesis 34. The events are basically summarized in the first four verses where we find out that Dinah went into town to see some of the women in the area. Most likely these were her friends. She went out, she wanted to see some people, have a nice little conversation, whatever people did back in those days. And while she was there, she caught the eye of this man who was son of the chief of the area. So this guy was basically a prince of sorts. And he was infatuated with Dinah and decided to rape her. After he raped her, he thought he deserved her as a wife. Unfortunately, this guy is not one of a kind. We all know this guy. This is the entitled guy that cannot take no for an answer. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, he still thinks it means, yes, I'm in love with you. He probably contacts you on every single form of social media. You've had to block him on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. You've had to block him out of your cell phone. He just won't give up. That's exactly what kind of guy this sounds like. Anyway, after all of this happens, he convinces his dad to go see her dad, Jacob, and try to sort out a marriage. Now, Jacob finds out that his daughter has been raped. And we know that he's angry um, because of the context of what happens in the chapter. But he seems to want to wait to have like a family discussion about what should happen next. So he waits on his sons, but we see that his sons leave the field immediately when they find out what happened. So it seems like he sent a message to them to come. And the reaction of all of the people around Dinah is to take immediate action or at least immediate action to discuss the situation, to find out what happened and to figure out what to do next. So when the rapist shows up at their house with his father asking for a marriage, I'm pretty sure there was a whole lot of words going through their minds. I don't know if they came out their mouth, but I know there was some words going through their minds. And what they end up telling the prince and his father is that if they will get their entire community, their entire nation to be circumcised, then they will allow this man to marry their sister or daughter in Jacob's case. And the whole concept behind this is Obviously, you know, circumcision was very important from an Israelite standpoint with the covenant from Abraham, but they told them, you know, this would allow them to become one people. And it was kind of a blending of cultures, if you will. But this was all a farce, okay? Jacob's sons had totally different ideas of revenge in their mind. So when the prince and his father agreed to this and went out and actually did it and had all of the men in their nation circumcised the sons of jacob two of the sons specifically went out and killed all of the men in the town and of course they couldn't fight back because they were in pain from being circumcised and what you're gonna see as we go through each of these stories is that in every single instance Blood is spilled. The next person that I want to talk about is Tamar. 
Tamar is also the daughter of a very, very famous man. She is the daughter of King David. Tamar's story is told in 2 Samuel chapter 13. And ooh-wee, it's... Yeah, so Tamar's brother, yeah, you heard that right, her brother, his name is Amnon. He is infatuated with Tamar. Once again, we have a man that's infatuated with a woman. And he decides that he wants his sister. And not only is he just thinking this in his head, he actually says this out loud to someone who he considers a friend. And this so-called friend doesn't give the reaction we expect. He doesn't tell this boy that he's insane and that he needs to get over himself and find a woman that he can actually marry to be infatuated with. He instead condones this nonsense and comes up with a plan to help Amnon rape his sister. So they conspire, they come up with this plan, and they carry it out. So Amnon is able to rape his sister. And I'm going to warn you, if you go to read 2 Samuel 13, it is one of the harder passages to read um, of the three because you actually get some of Tamar's perspective. Um, for Dinah, we just get a really short, you know, excerpt. This is what happened. But with Tamar, we actually get the recorded conversation between her and her brother where she is saying, um, don't do this and this isn't right. And for me, when I read that story, it reminded me of when you hear um, sexual assault survivors trying to uh, bring legal action against their attacker and they have to recount the events. And it's just hard and heartbreaking to, to read that. Um, and so after this happens, he once he has raped his sister, he no longer has any use for her. He's gotten what he wants. He, whatever craziness has gone on his head is still there, but he has uh, decided he no longer desires his sister. And so he kicks her out. And this is equally shameful to her. And so she is completely distraught. When David finds out, he's angry, but he doesn't do anything. This is one of David's shortcomings. And I feel responsible to point out here that nobody in the Bible is perfect but Jesus and God, of course. Um, And so even though David was a man after God's own heart, he was not perfect. We know this. He committed adultery. He committed murder to cover up his adultery. David wasn't perfect. But this is also one of the issues where he fell short. And so we also see that bite him in the butt. So the person who comes to Tamar's aid is her other brother, Absalom. You may be familiar with Absalom and his name because Absalom ends up throwing a coup against his father. 
and it stems from this very issue. So Absalom is extremely furious at Amnon to the point that he plots for two years. And he get, when he gets the occasion, he takes it, gets Amnon drunk, and has his servant kill him. That's right, Amnon dies at the hands of Absalom. And the specific reason Absalom gives for killing him is that he raped Tamar. And it's after this that Absalom ends up um, rebelling against his father and trying to take the throne. Um, It's a failure, obviously, because God knew that Solomon was to be the next king. But there is, you know, a skirmish. Some people side with Absalom. Some people side with David. This is a battle situation. And it's something that neither the nation nor David would have had to deal with if David had just taken a stand and done something about Amnon himself. Because let's be real. If you found out that your dad knew that your brother raped your sister and did nothing, you'd have a problem with your dad too. I mean, I would. So that's what happened with Tamar. Now the third person that we're going to talk about is the unnamed concubine. Yeah, they didn't even give her a name. So you already know that it's completely fitting for me to mention her in the podcast about most likely to be forgotten. They didn't bother to give her a name. They didn't bother to give her husband a name. That's how, I guess, lowly ranked these two people were. But I feel like it's one of the most powerful stories in the Bible, particularly because of the fact that they're unnamed. These two people were basically nobodies and they ended up starting a civil war or a battle um, between the, the tribes of Israel over an issue. And it's one of the most gruesome stories at the same time. Essentially, the man and his wife were traveling. And as they were traveling, they got to a place they needed to stay and an old man offered them a place to stay for the night. And from there, the story kind of takes on a Sodom and Gomorrah-ish twist. Um, A bunch of men surround the house. They request to rape the man or to have sex with the man. And they are denied this request. Instead, the men offer the women of the house, which is bizarre. Um, that's a story in and of itself. We're not going to focus on that issue of the story because we're going to focus on what happens in the aftermath. Essentially, the unnamed concubine is turned over to this mob and she is gang raped. And after she is gang raped, she tries to make her way back home or back to the man's home where her husband is. And the husband finds her the next morning by the door, dead. Once he finds that she's dead, he takes her body back to his home, cuts her body into multiple pieces, and sends the pieces of her body to the tribes of Israel. Like I said, it's gruesome, y'all. Gruesome. But when he sends the pieces of her body to the different tribes in Israel, It is a message about what happened. And I assume he sent some sort of letter with it. I don't really know 
how you would understand what happened with just getting a body part. Um, Whatever the case may be, once the tribes of Israel found out what had happened and what had occurred, they all rallied together to avenge this woman. All except the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin refused to avenge her basically because the people who did it were from the tribe of Benjamin. And so they stood in opposition to the rest of Israel. And in that, God gave the tribes of Israel permission to fight the tribe of Benjamin over this issue. They went to war or battle, whatever you would like to call it, and they killed 25,000 men from the tribe of Benjamin. And after this, the other tribes decided that they would no longer consider Benjamin part of them. So they refused to give their children to marry Benjamin's children. So their daughters couldn't marry their sons. Their sons couldn't marry Benjamin's daughters. And the tribe of Benjamin almost went extinct because of this. Um, And I forgot to mention the verses, you guys. It's Judges 19 through 21. It's also the longest of the three stories that we've covered today. And the reason I wanted to point out these stories is because not only do they follow the trends that we talked about in the beginning, there are women, there are women being raped. Um, Obviously, of the number of women mentioned in the Bible, we do see a similar parallel of statistics. Also, um, we see that two-thirds of the women were betrayed by somebody they knew, uh, Tamar being raped by her brother, and the unknown concubine, even though she was raped by strangers, was basically offered up to the strangers by her husband, which is somebody she knew. So the betrayal was still um, personal. And we see that in every case, it's an abuse of power, just like now, just like we have an abuse of power with the Supreme Court having people who are accused of sexual assault making our laws and upholding our laws. And we have a president who is okay with saying such crude things leading the country. He's setting the tone for the morality in the country, which is a scary, scary thought. But that's true in each of these stories as well. I mean, come on. It's Amnon, the son of King David. King David was one of the most powerful kings in the history of Israel. He's a prince. Of course he thinks he can get away with it. And then we have the prince who rapes Dinah, also a prince, also very powerful. He also probably thought that he was above the law, just like so many people today. We see enablement from the male community, otherwise known as rape culture. We see that um, after the event happens with Dinah, his father is there, you know, egging this on, trying to arrange the marriage. Instead of him chastising his son or trying to, you know, put out a punishment for his son that, you know, the family does not have to carry out, he is basically okaying it. He's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, sure, go marry her. Um, the same thing in the story with Tamar. This guy's friend is the one telling him and helping him conspire to rape his sister. Who endorses that kind of behavior? That's a horrible thing, right? 
And when we get to the unnamed concubine, while we don't know the station of the men who gang raped her, we know that it was a gang. They surrounded the house. This wasn't one man. It wasn't two men. It had to be a mob of men. And so we know that this was a widespread thing that was happening. And so in each of these stories, we see the same dangers and the same problems that we have in our society that we have yet to fix. The difference is that in our society, when these things happen, the woman is always blamed. It's always, oh, what was she wearing? Oh, what did she say to him? She led him on. She was showing her, her shoulder or her ankle or something. He couldn't help himself. Um, you know, all of these other things that have absolutely nothing to do with the issue and the fact that it's the man who committed a crime. And in the biblical stories, every single time people went to avenge the woman and every single time the person who committed the rape was killed. Now, I'm not saying that we should go out and start a war or that we should kill you know, whole cities because somebody is sexually assaulted. But I do think that it shows how seriously they took it, particularly in the story of the unnamed concubine, where the entire nation stood against injustice. And I think if you were to stop and think about what our nation would look like if everyone took that kind of a stance against sexual assault, if we decided we were not having it and we were willing to, yeah, to go to war over something like that, what would our nation look like? And how many, how would these statistics change? There's no way that I could say everything that needs to be said about this issue in a podcast. But I wanted to encourage those of you who listen that are leaders in your congregation or those who aren't even in congregations, whoever you are, wherever you are, I wanted to encourage you to think about this issue. And I wanted to encourage those who have the authority and have the power to think about how they are handling themselves and how they're handling the situations around them. If you're a father, an uncle, a friend, whatever the case may be, what are you teaching the men and the boys around you? What kind of example are you setting? And, you know, how are you protecting your female friends and your male friends? Because like I said at the beginning, it happens to men too. And so I just want to leave you guys with the thought that in each case, this story was placed in the Bible for a reason. God knows everything. He knows everything that will happen and he knows when it will happen and he knows what we need. And when you go back, particularly to the story of Dinah, and this is one of the reasons that I gave her the actual superlative, it doesn't fit the narrative of the history of Israel. It doesn't fit the genealogy of Jesus. It doesn't fit the prophecies of Jesus or of the end of the world or anything. It's just there. And because it's just there, 
we know that God told Moses to put it there for a reason. And the reason God told Moses to put that there is because he did not forget about what happened to Dinah. And he didn't forget about what happened to the countless other women who have experienced sexual assault. He knew that Dinah was just a girl, an innocent girl, who went to see her friends and ended up being assaulted. And he knew that that's happened to so many people since her. And he knew that her story needed to be heard, just like their story needs to be heard. If you or someone you know is dealing with sexual assault and you feel that you need to speak with someone, please call the National Sexual Assault Hotline. The number is 1-800-656-4673. Please know that you are not alone, and I'm sending you love from me to wherever you may be. Thank you for tuning into this episode. You can find the transcripts at www.psalmstogod.com slash forgotten. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe so that you can receive bonus content in addition to the weekly Monday episodes. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time.